want to encourage you as we get ready to get into the Word of God. We've been talking about our mission statement. We're raising up radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God from the next generation. And uh, as you guys know, Alex taught a class for about six or eight weeks called Radical. And we've asked him to share some thoughts on Radical. You know, Tom kind of got us started last week on what it means to be a radical lover of God and a radical lover of people. And I just really believe that Alex has a message in his heart that's going to bless us as he begins to paint a picture of what that looks like. That there is, in the Word of God, Jesus has given us a real clear picture of what it looks like to be radical lovers of God. And I believe Alex is going to bless us today as he preaches on what that looks like. So would you guys just welcome Alex to the floor? Amen. Let's pray for him. Amen. Father, I just thank you for Alex. I thank you for the gift of God that he is and that he is a radical lover of you. And I just pray, God, that you would anoint his lips, that, God, you would anoint his voice, that, God, what he says and what he declares today would break into our hearts. It would change the way we think. Lord, even Pastor Tom said last week, Lord, that the way we believe affects the way we behave. So, Lord, I pray a changing of the way we believe, the thought patterns that we have, that through the Word of God, God, you would break in and change strongholds of our thinking so that we can think like you, Lord. And we just bless Alex in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, brother. Love you. Good morning, everybody. Why is it every time I speak, the place is half empty? It was like that a year ago, too. Half full, that's right. That's radical, Mike. Well, we've been talking about being radical, passionate lovers of God and radical, passionate lovers of people. And... Uh, so last night I was discussing radical in the kitchen with my wife, and she says, do you really want to be radical? And I said, yes. And she says, good, you can start by cleaning the microwave. <laughs> so thank you. But that is a form of dying to myself, and I don't do a very good job of that. I'm sorry. So no. I just disqualified myself. Eric, you can take it from here. <laughs> I feel like Paul. But Tom has been talking about radical lovers of God and radical lovers of people. And he's really, he likes to play golf. And so he's kind of teed off the ball really well. And uh, it's up on the green right now. So all we got to do is put the ball and sink it in the hole. But to get there today, it's going to be like one of those crazy putt-putt courses that sometimes you feel like throwing your putter a few times. It might take you 12 attempts to get there. So we're going to cover some material today that may not be always real comfortable, may take you out of your comfort zone. And we did a lot of that in the radical class. Those of you out here today who took the radical class, I'm just scratching the surface but you know what I'm talking about that really challenged us to say, wow, did Jesus really say that? He did. And several times I had to say, hey, Jesus said this, I didn't. Don't throw all your trash at me. <laughs> so 
We talked about last week the definition of radical, and I'll go over this again. Webster's Dictionary simple definition of radical is very new and different from what is traditional or ordinary, very basic and important, or having extreme political or social views that are not shared by most people. Also, the slang is excellent and cool, but you've got to be from Tom Preble and I's generation to get that. So we used to say radical back in the day. But um, let, let's start this week by going over our mission statement again because repetition brings revelation. Repeat after me. We are raising radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God from the next generation who will love deeply Speak truthfully. truthfully. Serve sacrificially. sacrificially. And go globally globally. with the supernatural power power. and presence of the Holy Spirit, Spirit. calling all people people. to confess Jesus Christ Christ. as Lord and Savior. Savior. Amen. Well, we discussed last week as well scriptures like Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 39 where Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So why do we need to be radical today. I've gotten the feeling for a long time now, even before I started coming to this church, that many in the body of Christ have an overwhelming feeling deep in their hearts to reclaim their cities, their states, our society, our country, and the world for the sake of the gospel of Christ. Our country, sadly, is in a moral freefall of absolute filth and sin where the truth has been exchanged for a lie drugs depression sexual immorality is is celebrated by even our sometimes our highest elected leaders we seem to be a really divided nation blinded by a veil of deception and sin sometimes even in our churches today even in this house We have people enslaved to sinful practices, even some in my family that I just love deeply. And they need desperate help to be delivered from the oppression of Satan's schemes and lies he's got them into. And consequently now this church is heading toward a time of deliverance. Amen? Amen? We're in a season of deliverance. Can I get a witness? All right. But we have to be radical about God and others for this season to be brought to glory. Many times people ask me, what is the answer for our city, for our country, and our society today? 
Our answer isn't in a political candidate to solve its problems. It's not. We need Christ and Christ alone. And he is the only one who can heal our land, our body, mind, spirit, and soul to bring real peace, real deliverance, real contentment among all people. And so the good news is today is that he works through all of us if we'll be radical lovers of God and in return, radical lovers of people. We've got to be all in, though. Not riding the fence. Not on our own schedules. Not nominal Christians. I think the time for nominal Christianity never was okay. But it's definitely not okay today as humanity is on the brink. And we see it all around us today. We've got to be fully committed. If we are, though, in this, we can turn back the tides of the enemy. We can reclaim our city, our region, our nation, and our world for the glory of God to be known to all nations and all peoples. Do you agree with that? I believe that, too. We received a prophetic word from Denny Kramer back in October of 2015. of what was coming down the pike for this region. And we had the 10 get readies, and I don't have those in front of me. But we got them up there. (laughs) I left it up there with you, Jesse, thank you. Let's take a look at this short list of 10 get readies. Get ready to be a greater voice in the community. Get ready for articles to be written by you and about you. Get ready for a new way. Tell everybody to get ready. No dead weight. No one lagging behind. Get ready for a group of believers in this house who will press in to the purpose of God that he has destined us to. Get ready for the schools to be visited by God. Get ready for a move among students in this community. Get ready for the deadest denominational churches in town to be awakened as I visit them through my angels and through dreams and visions. Get ready, I have targeted Newcastle to be a hot spot for what I want to do, not only in Indiana, but also in the Midwest. Get ready for some spontaneous gatherings. Get ready to call some solemn assemblies. Get ready for even your schedule of events and meetings will come as a surprise to you. Get ready, there is a visitation coming I'm going to visit you guys. I'm going to visit the house. I'm going to visit this place, so get ready. They will pull in front and fill the parking lot. So get ready. Get ready. My visitation. Okay. Thank you. Can any of this happen, though, if we're not radical lovers of God and radical lovers of people? Any of it? There's no way without a complete surrender to Christ with our mind, body, spirit, and soul that we'll be able to do this. So it's time to get radical and get ready. Do you want to be a part of a body of Christ 
where we step out of religion, get back into relationship, and become vital again with a life that is based on a foundation of life in the Word and a really deep-rooted relationship with the Holy Spirit to where we can hear from God, obey to a degree where we lay down our perceived rights to our lives, our possessions, our relationships, our vocations, and every other created thing we hold near and dear to our hearts and submit it all to Christ in a radical fashion that transforms us to be Christ-like where the world sees the real deal when it comes to the body of Christ. Radical lovers of God that in turn propels us willingly, not begrudgingly, but out of the, lo- the longing and desires of our hearts to be radical lovers of people. Do you want that? I do. I long to be part of a revival in our land that rivals Acts chapter 2. Think about this. All of you are here today for a specific reason. We're in the latter days of this world out of all of humanity that has ever been created by God that we were all chosen to be here in this very time period. Even over Moses, Elijah, David, Daniel, Peter, and Paul to be alive now, handpicked by God himself right before the return of Christ in the last days of planet Earth to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to reap a harvest to fulfill Messiah's mandate and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, by God himself when it is all finished. Does that sound good to you? We've got to be radical. So after last week, it was really funny. We, we left here all fired up, being people that want to love deeply for everyone. And, and I, I want that for us too. And I had a blast seeing on social media how Last week, uh, we all kind of had this big love fest. I love Pastor Tom. I, Chuck Isabel's not here. He, he even wrote, uh, I love Alex Fulton. That's right. I couldn't believe he put that. But uh, I love him too. So at least Facebook knows how we feel about each other. But it's time we step out, step up, and show the world what radical love for God and radical love for people is. There's... One stipulation to all this, though, beyond all the hashtags and posts and the big love fest on Facebook and and all the hugs we do, which is great, this love, though, to be radical, it's going to cost you something. Are you ready to count the costs? I don't mean monetary costs but it's going to be sacrificial in in your life to be a radical lover of God and people. Jesus had something to say about this concern, about counting the cost. First off, to start on a clean slate, Jesus said this in John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Sounds easy enough, doesn't it? But let's think about this. It says, whoever keeps my commands is the one who loves me. Whoever keeps my commands. There's a common temptation in our society where we love to serve ourselves more than serving God. 
so many times we take Jesus' commands and we make them into considerations. We have a dangerous tendency, again, to make Jesus' commands considerations. I do. Think about this. Do we really put Jesus above everything in our lives? In Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now let's clear up something right now because when we took radical, a lot of people said, now, now hold the phone, Jack. You're telling me to hate the very people that I'm supposed to love. Hate in the Jewish culture and in the, the Far East back then. Hate was a term that we've hijacked that today to mean visceral hate and murder and strife. But back then, hate was more of something that meant, I'm going to place this so far below something else in importance that this is put before everything else. So hate meant this goes to the bottom of my schedule compared to my devotion to this that is at top. Okay? So Jesus states that your love for him must be so supreme an order of importance in your life that your devotion to him must make your relationships resemble hate even for your mother, father, spouse, and children. And remember, in this time period when Christ said this, family took precedence over everything in the ancient Near East. So the idea that God should be the center of one's life held radical implications required a serious counting of the cost up front. Next, he says in Luke 14, 27, he says, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is, is saying, pick up an instrument of torture and shame and follow him. You see the correlation Give up your life, even to the extremes of an instrument of torture and shame, and then follow him. And just so that we understand, death by crucifixion back then was not only extremely painful and barbaric, but it was shameful as you carried your own cross while being whipped in front of whole crowds of people. And Jesus also says later in Luke chapter 14, 33, in the same way, those of you who do not forsake everything cannot be my disciples. The word forsake means to give up or renounce or abandon one's right to ownership. It does not simply mean selling all your possessions or giving them away, but can also mean in a broader scope, becoming a steward who uses those in the service for the glory of Christ and not in the service of our own selfish nature. To reinforce Christ's command, commanding total surrender in our lives, he has this to say in Luke 9, 57 through 62. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own 
dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So there Jesus tells people that to follow Christ, to radically love God, the cost could be that you could be homeless, even not going back to bury your own father, and not to look back at your former life at all in any way. Wow. I don't know what I would have said if my father had passed away back then, and Jesus said, you can't go to the funeral you can't bury your own dad and I, I don't know how many of you have had a parent pass away but I imagine Jesus telling you that and you can't go back to the funeral but it's time to follow him and preach the kingdom of God how would you feel about that most of society with these commands Jesus would have already lost them at hello and most people did walk away. But Jesus was indicating something larger here than we see as potentially being rude or calloused. These people were wanting to follow Jesus on their schedule and not his. On their convenience and not on the urgency to reach the lost. my schedule and it's no doubt that most of the time Jesus' church was only about 12 people and his largest church that he preached was about 120 people Jesus not only requires superior love and devotion from us but he also wants us to count the cost in doing this he also says in Luke 14, 28-31, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Would you first sit down and count the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and not finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. When he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If you're thinking this is not pleasant material today, what I'm reading, you're, you're not alone. Many, including myself in the radical class, we all struggled kind of really digging into this. As a matter of fact, a number of times I had to keep saying, like I said before, um, this is Jesus' words, not mine. I didn't make this up. If, if I were talking about devotion, I'd give all of you a pass because I kind of like him myself. You can ask my wife. I kind of like doing things on my schedule, don't I? The unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. So to summarize, what we call radical love for God looks like this. All of your affections belong to God for his glory. Your relationships your possessions, and every other created thing in your life belongs to God for his glory, not ours. Does this change our perspective to the absolute extreme? Radical love has to start 
with a reservoir of love for the supremacy of Christ being at the forefront of everything in our lives and is so drawn toward him that our love for him drives everything that we do. This means that through the cross of Christ, we die to ourselves in the life we live. It radically changes our priorities then, doesn't it? So we ask ourselves now after hearing this, what are my motives now that in how I steward my relationships, my family, my job, my money, my possessions, and even my future decisions? Are they for God's glory or are they for mine? Our world doesn't not think like this. It's radical again because the definition of radical is very new and different from what is traditional or ordinary. The call to be radical lovers of God requires us to die to ourselves and come alive to Christ. And I think we all are getting this now that when you sign up for this, it's the most difficult walk and the hardest walk you're ever signing up for. This is totally counter to the culture that we live in that says happiness is found in nice cars, great jobs, big houses, a fat bank account, lots of trinkets and toys we enjoy for the pleasure of ourselves, great looks and vacations. We like life that's easy too. I can hear that commercial now, you're on vacation. So let's get something straight. There's nothing wrong with, with having money in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with any of these things I just listed in and of themselves, but what's the common theme that all these revolve around if Christ isn't in the center of our lives with them? It's us. The American dream is, is not based on Jesus and the supremacy of who he is, but it's based around making life easier and, and more enjoyable for us. It's really so selfish when, again, one billion people live on less than a dollar a day. There is no dying to self in the American dream. Now, I love America, and I love a lot of its principles, and, and I am a patriot. But I do not want to embrace the principles that are solely based on me and not God Almighty. I fight that daily. Radical love for Christ and people does not revolve around me, but revolves around me dying to myself to become Christ-like. As he died for you and I, it's countering the culture, making Jesus' commands, not considerations, and then obeying them, even when it contradicts my will and takes me out of my comfort zone. That's radical. It's a call to die to our selfish desires. This is not, again, popular in our society, and even, sadly, it's not popular in some churches today. I'm not here to tear down the church. I'm here to, to build it up in Christ. By the way, there's only one church in Newcastle. It's the body of Christ. We're not Presbyterians or Foursquare or Catholics. We're all in the body of Christ. So I think we see now what a radical lover of God looks like. Here's a quote from David Platt I like that describes radical obedience to Christ. 
Radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's not comfort, not health, not wealth. It's not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things, but in the end, such risk finds its eternal reward in Christ, and he is more than enough for us. This is exciting to me. He's more than enough for us. We could ditch everything that the American dream has to offer and says is worth something, and he's still more than enough, even if we have lost all of that. If we lose everything we have, but we still have Christ, we've literally lost nothing. Can I get a witness? Thank you. Let's move on now, because now we're coming to phase two of radical love. And a lot of people like to say, I love God, but man, I can't stand this guy. We do that. We get the, uh, when we were at RTF, the lady was here, and we were talking about, you know, the issue sometimes was, uh, people that can burden you and we all have people in our lives like that and you want to do the uh, I, when I was growing up it was called I'm looking through the eyes of a fly I'm looking through the eyes of a fly eye why don't you just buzz off it's not radical love so as we swing the pendulum the other way here I'm being radical lovers of people what does this now look like as we know according to Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Jesus forever married these two commandments together. So we can't say we love God, but don't love people. Even difficult people that don't agree with us or have offended us, and we all have a lot of those. Do you know any difficult people in your life, any of you? Charlene, do you have any people that come into business like that? We verbalized our love for each other again all week on social media, but now it's time for the body of Christ. I call it to put our money where our mouth is as the body of Christ. 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word or in speech, but in deed and in truth. We've got to make it real. Put some action behind your words. Charles Spurgeon once said, the most powerful sermon you'll ever preach is not what you say, but how you live your life and the actions you carry out toward others. And I've got a nice little list here of scripture we'll go through on loving others. 1 John 4, 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. I like this part. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. That's radical. How many of you work with people that only think of themselves? I see my wife giving me an amen. I don't have to pay you for that amen, do I? No, I hear about it every day. It's, ra- it's getting radical too. John 13, 
35, by all this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I like to think that New Covenant, as we walk around, that the society in our city at large sees that we do have love for one another. The way that we visit each other in the hospital, the way that we call and take dinners to each other when we need it. We do a lot of good things like that, our connect groups. Here is one of my personal favorites of what radical love is for people, and it kind of covers all of the bases. And it also kind of hurts. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. Amen. So here we go again, just like loving God. Are we seeing a common denominator again here? Radical love again for people is going to cost you. It's not easy to always be patient with others, or is it easy also to be patient in traffic jams? We've all got our pet peeves, don't we? When we lived in Arizona, I I hated traffic jams, but I was so surrounded one day. God gave me a beautiful revelation. He said, look how far I've brought you. Look out at the beautiful desert sky. Look at the cactuses. And I saw people around me just laying on their horns and yelling at each other and guys revving up their motorcycles, and I just started laughing. But it was not easy. It's not always easy to be kind when others disrespect or dishonor you on purpose, is it? Do we envy others sometimes for what they have or ever get jealous of their success or possessions? that we'd like to have, and we don't, but we think we deserve them. That happens in the church, too. I I know sometimes there'll be breakthrough in churches, even in this community, and other churches and people sometimes will make excuses for it. I've been told it's like a a big bucket of crabs. When one tries to crawl out, the other one pulls it down. Not knowing if we're learning to celebrate other success that they have. We could be next in line for our promotion. Let's be honest. Do you ever boast for the benefit of ourselves around others or make the conversation all about us? I do that. Have you ever been around a group of parents and one parent kind of makes the conversation all about their kids? and never lets anyone get a word in otherwise. Sometimes we don't realize we're doing this when we're excited about our children's accomplishments. But we're preferring, but are we really preferring others over ourselves? Are we easily angered when things don't go our way and we feel like we have the right for them to always go our way? Do we really keep no record of wrongs of others? You know, forgive unconditionally. 
or delight in evil when bad things happen to people that we don't like? How many times have you heard something bad happening to someone we don't like and we say, serves him right? My personal favorite one that I had was when I saw something bad happen to someone I didn't like, I would think out loud to myself and verbalize, take that. It's not love, is it? Because I'm sure a number of times people have seen me running along and trip or something and laughed and went, take that. I got it right back. So where's our compassion for others if we really value them more than ourselves? If the lost world who desperately needs Christ sees no difference in our love and what the world has to offer, why would they ever want to be like us or come to this church? If I'm not going to get any benefit from being here, I could use the sleep. We've all got a lot of things we like to do. Jeff, you got a great home with a lake up there and stuff. You could probably be out fishing, having a good time. Or are we showing the kind of love? Are we making it worth the price that Christ paid to get people to want what we have by loving them unconditionally? We're supposed to represent, and I say represent Jesus to the world. Do we love those who love us, who are easy to love, but despise others that challenge our love? That's one that gets me. I, I love to bless my friends, but what about total strangers or those that give me a hard time and show no remorse for it? This all seems pretty tougher than we all think about it when we say that we love people, and I think the word love has been hijacked by our world. And, and we have made it into hashtags and, and half hugs and Sadly, sexual intimacy to mean love. To be a radical lover of people doesn't, it's not what we think it is a lot of times. Radical love causes you to get out of your comfort zone and challenge you to give up yourself to others before you. This is absolutely not what our society preaches and endorses but we have got to be the church now's the time if we're supposed to be getting ready uh, let's get ready now now I've laid a big bummer on everybody I feel kind of even bad myself a little convicted I want everyone to stretch out a little bit take a deep breath inhale exhale I actually have very good news for all of you today. Man, that's a great stretch, Mike. I'm not going to tickle you and ruin that, by the way. I can't do this, and neither can you without Christ loving us first. I can't give the love of Jesus if his love isn't in me to begin with. I need Jesus to connect his heart to my heart and empower me to put to death my flesh to carry out a love that only he can give through his grace. The definition of God's grace was taught to me by three wise men like Lynn Furrow, Eric Haler, and Jeff Julian. 
and it's defined by grace as the superior provision of God that makes the impossible things in life easy. So if we're in Christ and he abides in us, through the Holy Spirit, we can love or start to love radically in our lives, and we'll improve and improve until we become more Christ-like himself. Amen? We're not perfect, but we'll get better at this. Follow me this on what I'm going to say right now because this is huge, okay? When we choose to supremely love God, obeying him the best that we can with all our affections, putting him first in our, our priorities, then what kind of love do you think that we'll have for others? Supreme, radical love. Amen. This is possible now. We're seeing the connection here. To be a radical lover of people, we have to love God more than anything else in our lives or we're actually shortchanging our loved ones. So the simple answer is to be a radical lover of people is to first be a radical lover of God. Then we can, and out of that reservoir of supreme love provided by God because of our obedience, bestow that unto others. How do you think us men are able to play out Ephesians 5.25? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church so that he gave his life for it. How do we do that if our love for Christ isn't supreme in our lives? We can't. It's impossible. Supreme love, radical love for people starts with a reservoir of supremacy for God. People deserve to be loved this way. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says Christ died for all of us. So we are all worthy because of his sacrifice. Christ showed us supreme radical love so we replicate this supreme radical love for others out of the reservoir of Christ in us. Prioritizing Christ first in your life will produce prioritizing people before yourself. Guaranteed. When we become Christ-like in love, others will receive radical love back. By the way, all of you single people here today and not just the kids, make sure you choose a spouse someday who loves God more than they love you. If you want to be an evenly yoked marriage to flourish, you've got to do this. It's a disservice to love anyone short of radical love. And we're not giving people what they actually deserve. We're selling ourselves and our relationships short if we don't give them radical Christ-like love. If I'm preferring myself before my wife, what kind of covenant is that? It's a rotten, selfish marriage, and it will show when that happens. So, singles, choose a God-pleaser and not a people-pleaser. One of the things about Kate, about six weeks into our relationship, over 20 years ago, when I started dating her, that's a long time, the thing that really won me over, she was the only girl I'd ever dated that put my knees before her own. So I married her. 
as mentioned, we, we had a radical class here at New Covenant, and we challenged each other to start to live radically in our love and how we showed it, not comparing ourselves to others and not compared to even David Platt, the author of the book Radical, but in our own lives, right where we were. And, and we said, what is God telling us to do that takes us out of our comfort zones for us? I've got a few examples of that, and I'm not really going to name some names, and that's okay, but, you know, people really wrestled with that, and they said, you know, this is really hard stuff, and we were listening to people who had gone overseas and risked their lives, and, and they read the book. I mean, there were people that were in China that were crying puddles of tears because people in their congregation were being executed and tortured and all kinds of things. And so people were becoming missionaries at large and, and living in dangerous situations. But then we broke it down, and we really started realizing right where we're at, what takes us out of our comfort zones and what is radical to us right now for the life that we live. And we had people that were starting as they were going to the grocery, realizing that things that were pleasant to them for their pleasure on lattes and things like that they would buy, that they were starting to give that money away because they realized that 30,000 kids die every day of starvation and preventable diseases. They were starting to see those kids as it, it was their own family and they wanted to provide for them. Like Karen was one that talked about when she gets home, she just wants to kind of unwind and be left alone and put on your comfy clothes. But she realized that to get out of her comfort zone, she had to start to give her time. Several people started giving their time to other people because they realized the dire need that people needed them. Platt even says, how selfish was I to think that back in the day when I looked at world missions, that I would just give my money, and I thought that was the answer to world missions. They didn't need my money, they needed me. And so, when you give your time, you're giving something that money can't buy. At the end of your life, you can't buy more time. I heard a very wealthy celebrity say that. He said, you know, they said, you have cars and mansions, and you're in movies, and you're a, a heavyweight champ, and all this stuff. If you could have anything, what would it be? He said, I just wish I could bottle up time and buy it. He said, at the end of my life, you can't get it back. So when, when you invest in people, you may not see it significant. When you're giving them your time, you're giving them something that money just can't buy. It's priceless. We had other people who literally questioned their own salvation, and that was not the aim of the class, but they'd never heard the gospel presented in such a manner like we've been talking about today that go, wow, this is serious business. If I really believe the Bible, then it has radical implications for my life and how I steward everything that I have. Several people, some are considering missions trips. Marcus, who we all know, is taking a missions trip now out of his comfort zone. My wife goes up to sometimes Chicago to help her sister who's been through a lot emotionally and my wife just really values her weekends and her time. She's starting to do that and her sister's actually starting to call her sis again, growing. So a, a lot of great things were happening in this class. A lot of people's lives radically changed even in their intimacy with God when they realized that 
they were able to I- embrace Christ at a higher way than they ever had before because you cannot give God. Radical risk equals radical reward. There's no feeling like knowing you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. When my dad was at, in a coma one day, I rem- remember because God is the Prince of Peace and he gives the peace that supersedes all human understanding. I had one of the best days of my life. And my hero was hooked up to all these machines and he was just, he looked just gnarly. And we really thought he was going to die. But I don't know what came over me. I was just weeping tears of joy and prayer. It's radical. And people saw that. They saw my mom like that too. But a lot of people in the class, their lives will never be the same in the way they read God's word, see Christ, worship, love and see other people and steward everything that they have that's created under the sun that they used to value near and dear to their hearts. Never be the same again. So I encourage all of you, I'm not up here to try to plug the class, but if you get a chance, read the book Radical by David Platt. So you can see and be encouraged that people that you know and members of this church are stepping out and being radical with their love for God and giving sacrificially in their lives things that were once comfort zones to grow in their love for God and Christ by others by abandoning themselves to embrace the superior provision of God. And we can all do this, every single one of us. We can change this city, this region, this country, and our entire world all together. All of us, not one of us, has to be all of us. Together as a family. I'll pull this to an end and land the plane. I have a quote from David Platt from the book Radical, and he summarizes it this way. Every day I see more disconnects from the Christ of Scripture and the Christianity that characterizes my life and the church that God has entrusted me to lead. I have so far to go. We have so far to go. But I want to know him. I want to experience him. I want to be a part of a people who delight in him like the brothers and sisters in underground Asia who have nothing but him. For the sake of billions of people today who have yet to even hear the gospel, I want to risk it all. For the sake of almost 30,000 children, who will die of starvation or preventable disease, I want to risk it all. For the sake of a relatively and ineffective church in our culture, I want to risk it all. For the sake of my life, my family, and the people who surround me, I want to risk it all. Who's ready to risk it all today? Who wants to be a radical lover of God and in return be able to bestow on other people radical supreme love to them that you cannot do until you prioritize Christ first. I just want to take a, a moment here. I want everybody to just close their eyes, bow their head, however you feel comfortable doing this. I just want to focus on Jesus Jesus, you truly are the song of our hearts and the story of our lives. And we ask ourselves a very personal question. Jesus, what would you have me do that is radical for me right now, right where I am in my walk with you? 
I, I want to know you in a very intentional and more personal way in the way that I give everything I have and everything I'll ever be for your purpose, not mine. And you've declared that this is a season now of get ready. And I don't want anything less than to fulfill your will and your way in me for a time such as this. Lord, I want to be all in. Not halfway. Not a convenient follower who serves on my schedule. But my schedule belongs to you for your glory, not mine. What would you want me to do in how I live my life? With how I love you, love others, with my time, my possessions, my relationships. Everything I have belongs to you for your purpose and not my own. So take a moment now and listen to his voice and see what he says to you. If you want to pray about this, we'll have people up here. If it's really tugged your heart today and you even think, I don't know Jesus this way, but I want to, you can come up here as well. He's here. So just take your time and focus on Jesus. He promises in his word, he that seeks me shall find me. As we dismiss the service, uh, we're going to have the altar team up here if you want prayer. I really want to encourage you to uh, really seek the Lord. And if you just need to do business with the Lord at the altar, we won't bother you. But the Lord is really calling us to die to self and to really enlist in a call of loving God supremely. And so I just want to encourage you to to really just seek the Lord this week about surrendering and dying to self. And uh, we love you and God bless you. This is the close of the service. So if you need prayer, feel free to come up here. If you would, take your conversation out into the foyer area.